Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hello, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. And how's things with you? What, what's going on with Omicron and all the madness? Um, we have three or four people out because of it. Yeah. Um, uh, they're not sick. Uh, you know, they're sick, but they're not, they're not very ill. Yeah. But I don't, I don't want to spread it around everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, I was just talking to Jake this morning about staffing challenges. I own a few clinics and it's, uh, every day is a new adventure with someone not able to come in or someone in their family becoming unwell. Sure. It's just re- reaping havoc on, on businesses and just trying to organize staff. It's just, do you think it'd be, I mean, joking aside, do you think it'd be easier to be in a lockdown again just for a few weeks or not? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I was actually talking to my partner about it last night and saying, God, it seems so much simpler when we were in lockdown because you didn't have to think about it. But now yeah. it's like, you sort of don't know where you're at because it's like, like every day is like a false start because you think, you know, you don't know what you're going to be met with. So I'm moving around clients this morning and, you know, people are, people are generally understanding, but you occasionally get this really aggressive patient that, yeah. you know, has got the, got the shits that you've had to move them. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's the <laughs> testing, testing and trying time. The, um, like the businesses, the, the, the smaller ones, you're not even sure if they're open or not. So yeah. you got, you got to call it the, the restaurants are, they, they can't, they can't get open. So, um, but fortunately it's not very severe, these illnesses, yeah. um, more severe for the unvaccinated. I have, I have a few in my office. I couldn't get vaccinated. So. Yeah. And how are they coping? They're doing okay. But, um, you know, the, I don't think there's one that got vaccinated twice, but not three times. Right. I think the third one, the third one's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, the efficacy seems to drop off pretty damn quick, actually. So, yeah, those yeah. boosters are going to be useful. So, Steve, how was your Christmas and New Year break? We're, this is our first podcast it, yeah, back over first, Christmas. We've, we've had a bit of a break ourselves. Well, yes, yeah, so maybe just quickly an ap- apology to all the listeners that probably thought, have Jake and Dave died? Have they decided they're not <laughs> yeah. doing IA anymore? We put a post up on Instagram, but maybe some people didn't get it. And yeah. I don't know how the bloody algorithm works these days. Some people see it, some people don't. So we've had a bit of a hiatus for four weeks, but we're back. Yes. And this is a great one to kick it off with because jawlines are becoming more and more popular. And I think traditionally, you know, men were looking to have their jawlines rejuvenated, but it, we're starting to see now it's sort of spreading to, I guess, the female market as well. It's, it's sort of like this bit of phenomenon that, that women traditionally had and we'll get into this, Steve, you know, more sort of tapered, sort of, you know, feminine, delicate jawlines. But now you're starting to see people who are actually embracing more of that that strong jawline. I've heard one of my patients come in and say, I want my jaw to look like a cash register. <laughs> <laughs> and trust me, we'll get into that. I don't think that's a good idea, but maybe maybe Steve's got other opinions. I remember a few years ago, someone said, the chin's the new cheek. It's kind of the new cool thing to do. But I mean, you know, I think most injectors now would, would treat everything sort of equally, just 
depends on what yeah. what the face needs. But um, Steve, why don't you introduce yes. yourself to to our listeners who I'm sure they've come across you, but if they haven't, um, sell yourself to everyone. Okay. Um, well, I'm uh, Steve Weiner, a facial plastic surgeon. I live in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, which is in the Panhandle. And uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, moved to Florida about 16, 17 years ago. Um, I uh, trained at Johns Hopkins as a surgeon, but 15 years ago, I no, actually it's 17 years now, I decided to, quote, lay down my scalpel and practice uh, non-invasive, minimally invasive procedures. So all I do right now uh, in the office is inject. Um, I do tons of trainings as far as uh, injections, but I also do a lot of ultrasound trainings as well. We'll get yeah. into that. Um, and around five, six years ago, I, I uh, got um, a technique that I use for the jawline and I trademarked it, rejuvenation. And I'm the rejuvenator <laughs> and uh, it's become very popular. And obviously if you do jaw lines, you have to do chins as well because they're sort of all encompassing the lower face. And I agree with you that uh, jaw lines are probably the most important single aesthetic unit of the male aesthetics and probably number three in the female, probably behind cheeks and lips. Uh, so, but uh, they're very interested in strong jaw lines as well. And what's your role with Galderma? Are you still training with Galderma? Oh yeah, very much so. I'm. I'm. For the last uh, four or five years, I've been their number one uh, med- uh, doctor trainer. There's some nurses that train a little bit more. So they call that peer to peer, where I go into the office and train uh, a group of nurses or physicians how to inject. We have to do it on label. Um, I don't know how it is in uh, exactly Australia. Exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, but I also train those people that are called trainers as well. So I train the trainer, and we're going to be doing that again in February uh, because Sculptra has had some new indications and new, and and so we'll be doing that. So and then I do some stuff with uh, Galderma International as well. Some. Um, research and uh, some projects that are going to come on board several years from now. Uh, but I also, I, I did a, um, a talk uh, actually at the NSS meeting four, three or four years ago for Galderma about the jawline. They had, it's a little, I guess it was, it was a proof. Somehow I was able to do it uh, with uh, <laughs> Dr. Nicholas in, yeah. in uh, Australia. That's yeah. actually where we met, Steve. I don't know if you remember, we had, yeah. had a little catch up and we had a drink with your wife and I, I eventually yeah. thought I would get you on the podcast and <laughs> we, we got there in the end. Yeah. So Steve, I want to ask, um, 2005, you said you, you laid down your scalpel and we've had a few um, people with similar backgrounds to you, plastic surgeon trained. What was the impetus for, I guess, in some respects, deciding to do something completely different and leave those skills behind. You know, you train so long to become a plastic surgeon. I'm obviously aware that that knowledge of anatomy and, and the, the tissues in the face from doing the surgery obviously stands you in good stead when you're doing injectables. But what was the reason behind changing entirely from doing surgical to non-surgical? Well, I felt that the um, it was right uh, after Restylane was approved in the States and a couple of years after uh, Botox was approved. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. Hey, we can do significant improvements in uh, these patients without the downtime, without the pain, 
and um, actually um, have them walk out of the office with close to surgical results. And I, I felt that, you know, it wasn't there yet, but it was going to improve with better fillers or, uh, and lasers. And, and so I do a lot of, in my office, I do a lot of uh, uh, energy-based devices. Yeah. RF microneedling is my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, and we also do some uh, non-ablative and ablative lasers. Uh, so the writing was on the wall. Um, and um, I, I, I didn't have my own operating room. And so when I'm dependent on the hospital, uh, it's sometimes very inefficient time. And so sometimes I'm sitting there and they go, whoops, there's a trauma case. Uh, you're going to have to be bumped for two or three hours. And, and so there I'm just twiddling my fingers um, and uh, a lot of ER call and so forth. And I said, look, I'm, I'm just going to do everything within my office and I'm going to do 15 to 30 minute procedures and uh happy patients and no insurance. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it, it was a, it was a very big risk because I, I actually had to start over because the area that I was in wasn't really, um, you know, financially uh, able to support someone like me. So that's why I moved to Florida and um, it was, it was a rough couple of years, but now it's the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I also think that it's also a very stimulating field. I, I need to be, um, you know, cerebrally stimulated. And I was getting bored with what I was doing. Um, and because uh, it wasn't really changing that much. But, but this field, you know, every, every week, every month, there's a new technique, there's a new procedure, there's new device. And I love that. And I love the teaching aspects as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that yeah. more. That's pretty much exactly my yes. <laughs> leaving hospital story as well. So, but I, I didn't take it as far as you, Steve. I was still training. I didn't finish my training, but uh, very, very, very similar background. And how is it that the rejuvenator has his jaw covered in, I mean, your goatee is amazing. I mean, you look like you could be a member of ZZ Top, uh, maybe one of the backup vocalists or something like that. So, <laughs> what's the, it's kind of funny that your jaw is covered and that's what you're known for. Well, this is the, the, the male makeup, isn't right, it? Okay. It's, it's the shaping. Right. It's, yeah. you, actually, do you, do you know that the, the most attractive uh, beard growth is like two days? It, it was studied. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so uh, un, unshaven for two days is, is what you shoot for. Uh, this is obviously more than two days. I was about to say, that's two days. <laughs> that's, that's, in, that's some impressive testosterone levels that you must have there if you can grow that in two days. <laughs> So, I mean, I guess to kick, kick things off and patient presents themselves to you in your rooms for the first time, what is it that, I guess we'll start with you, Steve, then we can go to Jake in terms of like, what is it that you're looking for? What are the conditions? What are you being presented with um, in terms of issues, in terms of deficiencies in that, in that jawline region? And how do you sort of go through your, your assessment process and I guess explain it to the patient and, and formulate a plan? I kind of look at the uh, jawline um, in two different, uh, and actually the lips as well. Hmm. Um, there's an enhancement and then there's restoration. So the younger patients are looking for enhancement. You're trying to make the jawline uh, more sharp. Um, they don't have the jowling. And then the older patients have the jowling and the retruded chin and so forth. So the first thing you look for um, is a defined angle of the mandible. And oftentimes um, is not well defined in, in both the young and the old patient. 
Um, but um, the one thing you also have to be careful on is how much adipose tissue is in the jaw. Because if you have a younger female that has a poorly defined jawline, but she has a lot of adipose tissue, you're not going to get very far because you're not you're going to put in so much filler that they actually become more masculine. Mm -hmm. the, the lower face becomes too wide. And yeah, you might have achieved your goal with more defined jaw, but you actually are counterproductive because now they look more like a male. So that that's the one caveat in, in the younger female you have to be watching. Um, so as you get older, you have to look at the jowling and the pre-jowl sulcus and the retruded chin. I used to take on every jawline and, and try to just throw in the filler and so forth. So there's a scale done by Radius, and, and uh, there's another one coming out by another group. But um, from like one to four, those fours that I have a lot of jowling, it, I, I'm not doing those anymore. I, I'm saying, look, it, it's just too much filler, too much, too much money. You, you should go to surgery. But if, you know, some of them say, absolutely, I'm not going to have surgery. And then then I said, well, it's going to cost you, you know, eight, 10 syringes to get you better. Um, so um, so basically, the younger patient, you, you want to look at the angle of the mandible. And that's where most of the product's going to go, because you want to define that angle more. You also want to have a shadow called the retromandibular fossa. So shadows are what you want to see. You want to see a good definition between the neck and the jaw and that retromandibular fossa. And then coming up front, I like to use the rickets e-plane to look at the chin because it's the easiest to do when the patient's in the chair. I kind of take a box of filler, put it between their nose and chin. Lower, lower lip should be about two millimeters from that line and the upper lip should be about four. And... Um, I usually like to go um, deep in the chin, uh, and sometimes I'll go superficial, but only after going deep. I go deep in the pre-jowl sulcus, and in the uh, angle of the mandible, I usually will go uh, deep and superficial as well. Uh, but I like that. Uh, we'll get into the technique later, but uh, yeah. How about you, Jake? Uh, any comments about all that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I think you, you touched on this at the start. You know, if someone comes in with, say, you know, heavy submental area and they ask you for jawline filler, one of the problems that our patients often present the injector is, well, what is the actual diagnosis? You know, what, what is the problem here? Because patients perceive lack of a jawline as jawline filler, but it could be a mixture of things. It could be, you know, they're heavy, they've got a weak chin. Yes, they've got a lack of, uh, you know, projection on the mandible. They could have loose skin around the neck, you know, if they're a little bit older, and then there's the jowling. So it gets a bit more complicated. And I think our patients often want to sort of, you know, label it as jawline filler, whereas actually it could be a, a multitude of techniques. And, and like you said, it can get really expensive when you start adding in toxins, fillers, um, submental fat dissolving, maybe a bit of laser or RF to tighten up the skin. And then it sort of gets to the point of, well, actually, do you actually need just a lower facelift? Is this going to be easier for you just to, like you said, just go and see a surgeon with a scalpel? So yeah. And then, and then the other dynamic is threads. Where do they sit with all of this? And I, you know, I hold my hands up. I don't really do threads um have you done threads for 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 any of the lower face steve um 
I gave them a go for about three months, about five years ago, and and uh, wasn't satisfied. So I, I don't do them. Yeah, interesting. Um, one um, point um, that I didn't make is that when you're attacking the jaw, you have to take everything, um, the whole face, mm. uh, uh, in your assessment as well. So if they're deficient in the upper face, particularly the cheeks, uh, I'm sorry, the mid face, you really need to address that too. Or they're going to look um, good here, bad there. Or but a lot of the stuff that you do in the mid cheek does affect the lower face. Um, the other thing that you have to the the big thing is 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 the bigonial width versus the bizygomatic width. Yeah. Okay. And so in the males. Those are about equal. In the females, you want the bigonial width to be less. How how much less? Well, you know, it depends. Some some people like Angelia Jolie and Alessandra Ambrosio, they have pretty wide bigonial widths, but they're still attractive. They're not that masculine. They're a little bit. But in general, you want a more V-shaped appearance. Yeah, um, I want to touch on that because, you know, we classically teach injectors when we're training concepts like that and yet it often doesn't always work yeah. out that way and, yeah and and do you get to the point where you're getting a caliper out and you're measuring it or are you just sort of eyeballing these things i, I have to i don't measure i'm just eyeballing yeah. and, and i'm sort of seeing what works and what doesn't work and and like you said if if you've got a wide jawline in a female that can work if you've got a wide mouth and and you know good yeah. lips that are in the ratio to that whereas if you've got a narrow mouth and and then you extend someone's jawline laterally it looks ridiculous yeah so exactly. like you said you've got to look at the whole face but where do you stand with sort of you know getting a bit fiddly with these ratios or are you just eyeballing I'm eyeballing it. Yeah. You know, I use my, uh, I guess, artistic uh, eye to help me with that. And um, so the corollary to that is that in the male, widening the upper, the cheek area, the, the zygomatic area, then throws a proportion out in the jawline. Mm, yeah. So, so. Uh, because you want those to be about equal. And, and if you make them too wide up here, you got to also make the jawline a little wider or they become more feminine. Yep. So yep. It, it all um, factors in just like, just like the lips. If the lips are um, unusually big, then it makes the chin look small. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you got to adjust for the chin. As yeah. well, yeah. You, ra you raise an interesting point, Jake, around you know certain segments of the population who potentially, like you know, you, you brought up that Victoria's Secret model and Angelina Jolie, and they dent they do have more masculine features, and you, and you sort of see it throughout their entire appearance. It's not just the jawline; it's you know low body fat, slightly more holding, slightly more muscle mass. You see that you see a lot of those Victoria's Secret models. They do have that more athletic sort of masculine, and although still very attractive. Yeah. But I think that sort of raises an interesting point around you know we've had pharmaceutical companies on talking about diversity and we're talking about diversity between races and different regions of the world but even within your own populace you'll see people who are of the same race but they've got entirely different 
aesthetic appearances. And I think, you know, talking about rules and ratios and understanding what should and what shouldn't be, you need to know those things, but you need to know the rules to break the rules. And it's about assessing the patient as an individual and not looking at a feature as, 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 as an item off a shelf that you're going to pick off and, and stick on someone's face. Yeah, totally. Would you, would you agree with that, Jake? And yeah, yeah, 100%. And just to sort of yeah. give Steve context, we, we did a series of podcasts where we looked at different ethnicities and parts of the world and, you know, how to approach those sorts of faces. And we quickly realised literally live doing those podcasts, what a ridiculous sort of concept that was to try and pigeonhole, you know, races or ethnicities because everything has to be bespoke. Yeah. You can have a wide faced person who's Caucasian and a, and a very sort of delicate Caucasian. It, it just depends on what you're presented with. So yeah, I, I, I like the fact that we have, you know, when, when we're training injectors, we have to have some sort of premise and some sort of rules. Otherwise, where do you start? How, how do you teach anything? Yeah. But like you said, you've got to know when, when you can break the rules or when you should break the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you can sort of go into that cookie-cutter approach where it looks silly. Do you agree, Steve? Exactly. Um, and as you said, there's a lot of diversity within the same um, race. Yeah. Uh, and, and so ru- rules are meant to be broken. Um, there's nothing steadfast in aesthetics, yeah. but you you got to know uh, when you've... Um, changed the appearance uh um to yeah. something that's not aesthetic yeah absolutely just one oh, last thing so to add to the indications and, and what steve was saying I, I tend to do a lot of my jawline in adverted commas starting with the chin because you know often you know the, the chin is obviously it's the anterior jaw it's the same thing and, and like you said you can't do really one without the other but i think if you do improve the chin shape first it can often give you that nice cervical mental angle. Obviously, it makes a weaker chin look better. And often it's enough for, for patients who are maybe newer to it to say, oh, that's enough. I, I don't need anything else. Yeah. But then, and, and like you said, you can dump in a lot of filler on the lateral drawline to, to get even more squaring and shaping. And, and often you're limited by budget as well. So, yeah, I, I sort of st- sometimes start with anterior jaw before going low. Uh, sorry, lateral. That that's the one difference that I would probably have with your approach, Steve. But yeah, I agree with everything we've said. I, I like that idea too because um, it does it does improve the submental area because you're pulling some skin that's falling into the neck back into the face. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like that approach too, particularly people on a budget. Um, and and they and they have a significantly retreated chin. Yeah, that, that's a great area to start with. Just to circle back quickly to what you said around patients that have got a lot of subcutaneous tissue, whether it be fat and and whatever else. What is the surgical approach? That how do you actually do? Are people actually like they're removing buccal fat? Are they sort of doing the same sort of thing in that sort of region of the face as well? Like what what is the surgical solution when it's not? Um, indicated for injectables or it's, it's you know, the juice isn't going to be worth the squeeze, <laughs> so to speak. You can, do, you can do a little bit of liposuction yep. in that area. Uh, I mean, that's the, um, you know, the top-notch way to do it. Um, there's something called uh, face tight. Uh, you know, it's an RF uh, that goes underneath the skin that also helps with that. And we actually get a lot of improvements using RF microneedling mm-hmm. um, going um, deeper than the dermis purposely killing the fat with very high uh, energy levels and very deep needles. And and so uh, sometimes these people have a combination of loose skin and fat. And so you you need to address both. Um, 
Uh, are you referencing the Morpheus 8 device? Is that what you're using? I use the Genius, but right. they're, you know, they're they're pretty close. Right, okay. Um, and I didn't realize you could actually use that to contour the fat as well with RF mm. needling. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been doing it since 2012 or 13. Um uh so I have a lot of experience and yes, yes you definitely can. Yeah. Nice. Um, and what what's your sort of um you know, with all these non-surgical devices, I've been around the industry for, for a few years and some of them are very hit and miss. You've got to be very um, selective with which patients is, I mean, when you're, you know, sl- slightly go off topic, but, you know, since we're talking about RF, is what's your sort of hit rate on that? I mean, is there, are you very specific with the patient that you're choosing or is it universally very, very successful when you sort of treat any patient um, in that region of the face? Well, so how I judge it is um, how many patients say, you know, I don't see a difference and, you know, you're in a quandary sitting there, uh, you know, do we do another treatment Mm -hmm. or so forth? And uh, very, very few actually come and tell us that. Okay. Many say, I I love the results. I want to do it again. Um, But you, you, you have to limit it. I mean, if, if the adipose tissue is, is, is great. You're, you're not going to get anywhere and we do refer them to surgery. Yeah. Um, so the hit rate is pretty good. Um, and you can actually treat jowls as well with it. And I, you know, the injectable, um, deoxycholic, uh, oh, yeah. acid, I, I don't, I don't find that to be that dramatic a result. And there's a lot of downtime and swelling associated with it and multiple treatments. I, I kind of sway more towards the RF microneedling yeah. at the deep levels for that. Yeah. I was actually just going to mention that before <laughs> yeah. you mentioned it. So good segue. Um, I actually do like deoxycholic acid, but you're very right. It's a very patient-specific treatment. So too heavy, fats too lateral, um, you know, obviously lacking a, the bony structure, then it's obviously a different yeah. method of improving the shape of the face. Um, and you know, if they've got loose skin then then forget it, deoxycholic acid is not a good modality. So I, I think again, it comes down to the diagnosis and, and the patient indication. If they've got that, then yeah, then, then Belchira or Kybella, as you call it in the States is a good tool for mild to moderate submental fullness just in the middle. But if it's outside of those parameters, then you want to be thinking about another tool. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. So when the patient's present themselves to you. And I know we've sort of to- spoken from a, from a technical perspective of what you're looking at as a practitioner or someone that's providing these, these treatments. What is it that the, that the main patient complaints are? Like, how are they defining the issue? What are the things that they're noticing? And is there, you know, a certain age group that people sort of hit where it starts becoming an issue that they're aware of and they start wanting to rectify it? Maybe we'll start, start with you, Steve. Well, um, you know, there's, there's people in their mid to late thirties who, you know, come to me and they'd say, I wish I could do this. Uh, <laughs> You're doing the facelift. Yeah. For, yeah. And, for and anyone they, that's not watching have... this on YouTube, it's the, it's the two finger facelift. Yeah. <laughs> Very well known <laughs> procedure, extreme, no downtime, <laughs> instant results. But yeah. what I, I joke with patients, cause I say, look, you intuitively know the strategy of what we need to do. It's working on the lateral face yeah. with filler. So immediately they're on board. Cause they're like, Oh, okay. Then fair <laughs> enough. <Interesting>. Okay. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and they, um, you know, they don't need that much to improve what they consider jowling. And believe me, um, when I'm doing jawlines and they, they have jowling, 
I, I don't believe that I am lifting these jowls. What I'm doing is I kind of feeling behind them and in front of them and trying to camouflage them. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I, yeah, to, to say that you're really lifting the jowls, um, you know, that uh, that's a stretch for me. Um, but they, they complain about jawline. They say that they're, you know, they have problems with their neck. They, they, they want a firmer um, appearance from the side. Um, males want to look more masculine. You know, they, they kind of uh, um, want to, uh, they're divorced or something. They want a little kickstart. They want to look a little more attractive. I, I really do think the jawline is the key. And if they don't have a very strong jawline, um, you know, that that brings them down a notch with the uh, attractive scale. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the other kind of main indication is patients not liking their profile. You know, they catch themselves in a photo Selfies or, or <laughs> friends photo. take an unflattering yeah. photo, uh, <laughs> photo. And yeah, it, it's the weak. It could be the, the corner of the jaw, the mandible, but also, you know, the, the projection of the chin. That's yeah. the other one that I get quite commonly. Yeah. Usually it's a friend's photo because <laughs> yeah. they, they don't think- they don't they don't curate them or face tune them whatever whatever exactly. else is done these days. I didn't get into the differences in the chin. The chin the chins are very specific for female and male. Though, so the chin in a female you want to be more pointy. You want to have at one point of projection. The male two points of projection more wide. The width of the female is going to be about the width of the nose, and the male is going to be about the width of the mouth. So um, those are definitely gender-specific things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you've covered everything. That's yeah. Honest. Okay. And where does, I guess, you know, we're talking about the jawline and, and the chin, but I guess that, you know, quite commonly um, people are looking at that region in general, so you're looking at the neck as well. And sort of where do you sort of do these treatments in combination or how you how are you sort of assessing it and sort of working that into, into your treatment protocol or, you know, a plan for a patient and it's, I guess, tying it all together because, you know, sometimes you treat one portion of the face and then it makes some another area, you know, glaringly obvious that it, that it needs attention and, and work. So is that a region you sort of look at in its entirety? Right. As Jake uh, <coughs> described, sometimes it's a multitude of treatments to, yep. to get the ideal lower face, including RF, deoxycholic acid and so forth. Um the one thing that I like to do for the neck is a hyperdilute uh, radius. Mm, right. Uh, I've had that. Jack did it for I, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love that procedure. I really think it um, tightens and um, improves the skin quality. And I like to combine that with RF microneedling as well. So, so um, when you do that, you can. Um, I often will combine that with the lower face and jawline. Um, so. I, I kind of start the procedure about right here and go down to the clavicles with the RF and I'll inject the jaw lines and the neck. And I have, by the way, I have no problems injecting HA or any other filler products when I do RF microneedling. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't affect the, uh, the product whatsoever. Yeah. Is that because you're in a different plane or just the temperature doesn't affect it? Well, it's both. Um, in general, I'm not going below the the dermis, but occasionally I am yeah. um, when I'm trying to kill fat. But um, when you when you, they sterilize the HA product, I'm talking specifically about Galderma products because I don't know about the others. Yeah. But the HA products are heated up to 120 degrees Celsius yeah. for 15 to 20 minutes. 
The RF microneedling gets to about 65 to 70, four milliseconds. So it's not going to affect it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you've been speaking to Professor Greg Goodman, but he said that exact statistic to me when I asked him that question. And so whenever people say to me, hey, can I have laser after filler or whatever? I have no problems. You do it tomorrow, today, next week. Right. It doesn't make any difference to me because it's not going to melt your filler. So that's a really then, common question, yeah. actually. Yeah. And calcium hydroxyapatite is going to be even a higher uh, melting point. So. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jake, the neck in terms of, you know, treating that, that region holistically? How, how do you approach it? I don't have as many gizmos as Steve. So <laughs> I, I do actually have to you know, sort of put my hands up and say this is a trickier area. So I guess, again, it comes down to, you know, what tools do I have? Yeah. What does the patient have? And if, if my tool doesn't fit, I need to send them somewhere. So, you know, if it's laxity that's the issue, that's the main thing that I can't treat uh, as an injector. Um, so, you know, I've actually sent a few to Dana yep. for Morpheus 8. Um, I will send, you know, maybe our older patients where it's just so far gone and it's not even just the skin. They might yeah. have a separation of the, yeah. the neck muscles. Um, then that's yeah. going to be a surgical indication. And then there's everything between us. If it's just like sort of crepier skin quality, but it's not so loose that yeah. it looks too bad, then we do what we did on you with the hyperdilute yeah. yeah. um, calcium fillers or, um, you know, sometimes if it's just more of a skin textural quality issue, yeah. then you can use the superficial H is like Volite. I don't know if you have yeah. Volite in the States or one of the it's skin boosters. It's just coming out, but you, you basically skin boosters, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So as an injector, you know, unless you've got a lot of devices at hand, the neck is yeah, unbelievably tough. tricky, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered if we could just define some anatomical terms, Steve, uh, you as the facial plastic surgeon. So what do we actually mean by, you know, chin? And, and maybe if you give us some subdivisions of like the Pagonian, the, the Nathan, the Menton, the, these sorts of things that, you know, sometimes these terms get thrown around on stage at conferences. And sometimes it might be confusing to even injectors let alone you know consumers right the mentor would be the the inferior portion of the chin mm -hmm. pagonian would be the most projected part of the chin yeah and um so you know i we use those those are medical terms but uh in reality um when i'm speaking to patients and when i'm doing conferences that they're, they're not widely known so i i try not to confuse the audience uh with those for the mandible, obviously that's two bones that fuse in the oh. middle and that has an impact on the cleft in men, particularly, I'm assuming. You know, the cleft uh, is a big question. Uh, and we asked a lot of people who were not exactly sure. There wasn't a um, consensus on, on the cleft chin. Do you, do you know a lot about it? Not but, really. Uh, I did a bit of reading and, you know, it's more common in certain populations. So particularly Middle East and Caucasian, less in yeah. certain ethnicities. Um, I've got one. My kids have, have got one. So they've obviously got it from me. So just for people that are listening, when you talk about the cleft, you're talking about like the, dim, the little the little, di the little dimple chin, like the Roger Ramjet. Yeah. For anyone that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the little dimple in the middle of the chin. Yeah. Right? And that happens because what, the, the bone doesn't fuse properly? Well, or? well you know, this is exactly what Steve's yeah. saying we don't really know. Some some books are saying it's a congenital thing where you're born with, you know, two bones that fuse in the middle and it's just a natural depression. Yeah. So you've got a bony uh, slight hollowing in the middle, hence the, the whole platform of the face is thinner there right. and it clefts. Some people have said to me that the mentalis muscle is bifid, it, it splits in the middle, hence there's a yeah. soft tissue component to it. But I, I don't know. I've never sort of looked into it in too I, much detail. 
I, I'm more into the um, the bifid um, mentalis. I, I think that that's probably it. But you bring up a point that actually is important, is that um, you can affect those, particularly in females, when you inject with filler. So they yeah. they have to be okay. If you're giving more projection to the chin, you it might not be as deep, uh, the cleft, or it might go away. Um, so that's just something to consider. Um, so as far as the mandible goes, um, the gonial angle back here, the antigonial notch, that's the area where the uh, facial artery and vein transverse over the mandible. And the reason why we have that is because the artery is pulsing and it gradually causes a slight erosion of that bone yeah. over time. Um, then you have the body of the mandible, which is right here. That's, that's the long part of the jaw. Then you have the ascending ramus, which is the part um, going up. Um, and um, actually, it's very important, too, because I see a lot of this um, sort of injections into the jawline, and they kind of look weird, but you don't know why. Mm. And let me tell you why. It's because in the female, most of the height of the mandible is the body. Yeah. They have a very short ascending ramus. And the male's the opposite. So the if you draw a line from the gonial angle over to the mouth, the gonial angle in the male is about the oral commissure area. Mm -hmm. And in a female, it's actually the upper lip. So sometimes you see these people with the gonial angle, particularly females, way too low. Mm. It makes their ramus way too long. And it and you don't know what's wrong, but it doesn't look right. And that's the problem that I see often. Well, yeah. They that, go, look at I was going to say, that's the classic shot on Instagram where maybe from the side where they sort of do a you know, side angle, it kind of looks sexy mm. and like a model, but you turn them to a frontal angle and it looks like they've had a shoe put in the corner of their <laughs> jaw or, or, or it exactly. just looks weird. Uh, and, and you're right. And so there's been a couple of uh, kind of high profile cases, particularly in the UK, where, you know, these young influencers have got sexy jawlines from the side. But when they see themselves from the front, it looks horrendous and they've had to dissolve it and, you know, go and see someone who knows what they're doing. So, yeah, the, the jawline can look really wrong if, if done badly. So it's a good point. Yeah, end up looking like Quagmire from The Family Guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's one other weird um, fact that I came when I was researching this. So apparently a chin is a very homo sapiens anatomical feature. Other animals don't really have defined chins. And they think it's something to do with, um, you know, our faces have kind of got smaller as we evolve from, you know, Neanderthals and stuff. And, and our dentition, we're eating less... Um, Tough sort of foods, tough yeah. foods yeah. And, and, and narrowing of our dental arcade and so on, all this evolutionary stuff. But humans are the only thing that have a, a proper defined chin. It, it, all other animals don't have a chin. Yeah. Weird. I never knew that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, so maybe I never even thought of it, but, but there's a lot of, um, you know, we have sinuses and the people say, well, you know, why do we have sinuses? And it's to um, absorb the impact of a blow. So it's kind of, you can you can hit the sinus and it will fracture, but it won't be transmitted all the way to the brain mm. or whatever. It's like a crumple zone. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I'm wondering if the chin acts as a little bumper to protect the 
the mouth or the the teeth or something. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't want to get into too much detail. It's probably boring for the casual listener, but it was, it was simply to do with how our forces are transmitted, you know, across the face and, and the things that we eat and the, and our dentition, it just happened that that thickened up a bit, but Mm. I don't know. It's, it's debated, but you know, if you look at monkeys and things, they don't have as defined an area as humans. Okay. Your regular David Attenborough. There yeah, you well, it's, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, so what are the factors that impact, I guess, jaw development or, or you know, um, causing it to recede and start causing these issues? So things like, you know, your hormone profile, you know, things like uh, going and getting braces or dental work done, having teeth removed potentially as well. So do you want to maybe just walk through, Steve, you know, how this potentially works, particularly for men, I guess, when they reach that that puberty age and, and, and testosterone starts kicking in and you start to sort of see the facial structure kind of change before your eyes. And then, you know, um, on the other end of the scale as well, you know, for women potentially when they go through hormonal changes like menopause, how does this sort of sort of impact the way that the sort of face, the face changes and, and the jawline is impacted? There's, there's a, a fact that um, high testosterone levels are associated with uh, very uh, distinct jaw lines. And um, it's also associated with infidelity. Right. <laughs> strong, strong jaw lines in males are associated with infidelity. Interesting. Um, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Strong jaw lines, uh, high testosterone, meaning... Uh, to a female, oh, that's a great mate because they have high testosterone. So that that it's all innate in our, you know, in our species to have um, high testosterone, strong jaw lines, and you'll be more fertile and so forth, and you'll be more attractive. So um, they actually did another study of the Fortune 500 company uh, CEOs, and 95% of them had strong jaw lines. Wow. Um, so, so it's a sign of authority, of trust, of um, being successful too. Uh, so yeah, the draw line obviously changes uh, and is is uh, associated with the rise in testosterone. I guess it's in no. Uh, sorry, I was going to say it's no uh, coincidence that all of the the superheroes like Superman, Batman, all of the stereotypes have got a very clean cut jawline. It's just you know it's 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 that testosterone again, isn't it? Exactly. In fact, I have that in my slide presentation. I said even even the comics uh, get into these jaw lines, and yeah, I mean they're 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 uh, very smart too. Um, but what's interesting is is the uh, females when they start to demineralize um, and they they uh, you know they become calcium deficient. I, I have actually injected um, with a needle into the chin. And the needle keeps going, yeah, because because the bone is so soft, um, and and so it it definitely affects the jaw uh, line. So yes, I agree with you about um, one of the main features associated with aging of the jaw is dentition, and um, as you lose dentition, the body of the mandible gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and and so try try not to have uh, teeth extracted because it will, if it, it does, af- it affects the whole lower face. It involutes as you lose, start to lose teeth. Um, and, and so um, I think that like when I was a kid uh, and I got braces, 
I had eight teeth removed. Oh, wow. Uh, I had I had my third molars removed, but I also had my premolars removed. I wish they hadn't done that because it, it, it's something I'm fighting ever since because my mouth is now small, my chin is small, and, and so forth. But they do have um, newer techniques where they actually widen the palate and so forth. And I think that's good. Yeah, I had four teeth removed as well before I had braces. So yeah, braces. Yeah, I had braces. Yeah, when I was in high school, so they removed because I had too many teeth for my for my jaw. So they removed. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? The sort of as we progress and, and learn, that, you know, things that we thought were a great idea ten, even ten, five, ten years ago, are now no longer considered a very good idea. Yeah, um, yeah, because as you said, you know, the teeth play a massive role in you know the shape of the jaw and you even see it now like my partner used to work in in dent in uh, as a as a dental assistant and you know her fixation on you know not wanting to lose teeth or you know trying to hold on to a tooth that might need root canal and so on because once that tooth's gone you do you do get bone recession yeah 100 percent. and yeah. it's, i ask specifically about have you had your wisdom teeth removed have you worn braces and obviously have you had jaw or face yeah. surgery because the architecture of the face affects what, what what it looks like. And it's not uncommon for people who've had a lot of work and, and lost their teeth, like you said, Steve, have got a weaker chin. It just, it has to happen because you've lost bone around the jawline. Uh, and the projection as well. If you, if you remove your back teeth, your jaw sort of shortens in a, yeah. in a horizontal aspect. It, yeah. it just has to happen. So, yeah. yeah. You you brought up something that's interesting too. It's a little different subject. Finish your thought, but uh, 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 it's about uh, um, masseter injections with yes. Botox. Yeah, to yeah. We're, we're actually doing a whole podcast on that uh, this coming week, actually. But yeah, we can definitely oh. talk about it. But um, I was going to say it, it's a nice way of explaining to patients. Well, this is why your face is so because of your dental background. Hence this is what we need to do. It's not just sort of pasting a bit on the corners. It's, it's giving your chin projection and making them understand why their face is that way. I think it just helps not, not sell to patients, but helps educate, maybe educate why you need bigger volumes and why we're putting it in certain places. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a huge association, like you said, with bony resorption. And, and, and I, I, I present that in my slide presentation too. Um, and, um, I mean, it it be it becomes very very thin, particularly in older females. That jawline, and that that leads me to the correction because you lose that height of the mandible, um, so you kind of have to recreate the height. And the only way to do that is actually injecting below the mandible yeah. to recreate that height. Yeah. And so in the older patients, um, particularly females. You, you don't want to widen them because they're already kind of wide, the older female. So you inject below the jawline to help the correction. Mm. Yeah. And, and actually coming back to um, what you were saying earlier about, you know, the mandible doesn't just change in one, one orientation. It sort of loses it in certain places. And that's why you get more pronounced jowling because the pre-jowl area gets more hollow, whereas the jowl becomes heavier. So that sort of contrast between the two, looks sort of doubly bad and so that's why i don't like the concept of just lifting with threads because you still leave this big hollow here in the pre-jowl area so you know when you're using filler you're, you're sort of masking the, the the hills and the valleys like you said to camouflage things and not actually lifting actually isn't necessary a lot of the time because you're just blending those hollows and ridges right so 
Another reason for the pre-gel marionette area is the uh, labial mental uh, ligament. Mm. So, so the the gel uh, is restricted from going forward, and so it enhances the deficit there. Yeah. Um, along the same line, so so I'm just talking because things are coming to my head, and I, I need to get out there. But the older female becomes wider because things th- things things start to fall. Yeah. The um, same thing happens to a male, but it but it's not as bad a um, aesthetic problem because a square lower face in a male is still considered attractive when a square lower face in a female is not. So that's why quote males age better than females. I feel it's my theory, but but that that one concept is. Um, you know, they don't look as bad with a lower face that's wide yeah. in the male paper. But, but also, you know, because men don't go through the menopause and they tend to have thicker uh, uh, structures already, th- that crepiness doesn't get as bad, the jowling doesn't get as bad, and the jawline is to some extent preserved versus a female where it really demineralizes, like you said. So yeah. you're right, it just looks worse on a woman, particularly postmenopausal. Mm which I guess why things like hormone replacement therapy are, are critical to make sure that you sort of slow down that process, right? Yeah. And, and again, you know, if you meet postmenopausal women in, in your injecting rooms, it's a little bit silly just to think that a little bit of filler without treating people holistically and thinking about their hormone profile and their thyroid and everything else yeah. can actually have a real impact and it could actually be more useful than just, you know, two or three yeah. mils of filler. There, there's also a theory... Uh, for the skin that the hair of the on the male face creates sort of a structure to the mm, skin that's true so yeah. it, it it doesn't um, become as crepey because of that too yeah bit of a left a field question that wasn't in our list of questions but I'm going to throw it at you guys anyway <laughs> um, mewing <laughs> what do you guys know about mewing I've listened to lots of different podcasts and do you know anything about it Steve and, and if so do you want to sort of tell our listeners because I mean I know what it is but it'd probably be better coming from some of the either one of the medical professionals I've but, gone yeah. down a massive rabbit hole with right. this just this week so I know a lot about it alright we'll, yeah. we'll kick off with <laughs> okay. you Steve and then we'll let uh, Jake tell us <laughs> what he's found so one of I have a video out there that shows the unintended consequences of chewing gum. Yep. And I'm showing this patient with hypermobility around her mouth with the gum chewing. And she's exaggerating and so forth. And then I got a comment about, well, you need to learn this Ewing concept for chewing. And um, I looked it up. I had no idea. And so, Jake, take it from there. Well, <laughs> well firstly, you're the one who mentioned the word mewing. Yes. So what is it in your in well, your understanding? From what I understood in the podcast I've listened to is it's the process of pressing the tongue across up, up the soft the t- soft tissue and the palate yeah. to try and encourage the widening and to I guess sustain you know the structure of, of, of the bone and all the structures in, in that sort of region. So it was a, a guy I think his last name was Mewing yeah. Michael Mewing or it's something. Right, it was. Mew, so right? Yes, yeah. and he sort of discovered this. And there's been other people that have come out talking about the fact that you know, as we alluded to before, like the change in our diet, the soft foods, you know, all the you know the sort of you know smoothies and you know, all this sort of thing is sort of encouraging this 
this uh, the structures in our face to sort of diminish and, and become weaker and, and less defined over time. So this exercise of pressing this tongue up in the soft tissue and the palate helps uh, theoretically from what I've heard to try and counteract that. Is yeah. that, is that, is yeah, that yeah. accurate? So, so I'm fascinated by this and I want to get this guy on the podcast yeah, right. actually. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. So, so the concept is, and we touched on it before, that traditional um, orthodontics where you're removing teeth or bringing them narrower with a brace is kind of detrimental to yeah. both function, so breathing and tongue position, but also facial aesthetics because you're affecting the bone and making it narrower and, 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 uh, and you know, affecting the chin and so on. So John Mew is a sort of a 90-year-old. Oh, John, old, I called him um, Michael Jew. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, John. <laughs> he's still alive. Uh, I think he's 91 years old. He's a British wow. uh, dentist. And he started this thing called Mewing. So it's named after himself. And you're right. So you, you basically just want to have your tongue pushed up to the roof of your mouth as much as you can when you're resting, when you're not doing anything. And one of the exercises that he was sort of telling people to is when you're chewing gum, don't chew it in your teeth, tongue chew. So push it to the roof of your mouth with your tongue to sort of exercise your tongue. And, you know, it gets a little bit detailed, but he was basically saying your muscles of mastication are kind of unique because they don't really have any antagonists. They just pull down and, and potentially create grinding if they're over excessive. So the only, well, one of the only forces that counteracts that is your tongue pushing up and, and sort of widening your, your upper teeth. So yep. it's, anyway, it gets very, very complicated, but basically, yes, the, 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 the theory is that it will make you function better, breathe better, less snoring and uh, sleep apnea. That's the mm. big one. But also it can improve your, your, your face shape, give you a better jawline, dental arcade and cheeks and, and lip position. So yeah. it's, we have to get him on. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. And, um, is he a, um, a dentist or an oil surgeon or something? Or? Uh, yeah. He's a dentist. Yeah. And actually his son, Mike Mew. Oh, that's is, where I got Mike from. Is okay. the guy who's now got his YouTube channel. Right. Okay. And, and to be, you know, to be honest, it, it's very controversial. A lot of people, traditional dentists think it's a lot of old crap. So that's why I want to get him on to just see what he has to say. And, and, you know, this is an aesthetic podcast. So yeah. if he thinks it's going to improve the facial aesthetic, then yeah. let's have a chat about it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about how we actually commence treatment and sort of what your protocols look like and, you know, sort of, you know, patients come in, they think it's a quick and easy solution. It's just, I need a bit of filler here and, and away we go. So how do you guys, I guess, both approach, you know, your first treatment and, and the protocol, and then maybe let's just get into some, some of the different products and, you know, cannula, needle, you know, planes and so on. So mm. um, do you want to kick off, Steve, and then, then we can sort of hop over to Jake? Sure. sure. So um, you do a complete facial assessment. Um, Again, I, I strongly believe that the mid face is sort of the support of the entire face. So, so that needs to be uh, well um, volumized. And also the preauricular area, I find, uh, is um, there's a lot of deficit there, particularly in your uh, uh, patients who've had uh, facelifts mm. because they lose a little bit of fat when they elevate that. So make sure that those areas are well uh, volumized. And then I head towards the lower face. And um, I like to use cannula for almost everything that I do injection-wise. Um, so when I when I start, I uh, if the patient needs some 
filler, particularly in the posterior aspect of their jaw, because that's where a lot of the definition and a lot of the bone loss is. I start my port in the area of the jaw. The reason being is I don't want to enhance the jaw. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, in fact, created, in some cases, jowls where there wasn't jowls because inadvertently I injected those. So if you start with your cannula in the jowls, it's very difficult to inject in that same location because it's the very end of it. And what I do in the younger patient, I kind of just uh, go into the subcutaneous plane or a suprapatismal plane. And I like to, uh, and the reason I choose that plane is for twofold. One is it's well away from the vasculature. The vasculature is going to be along the periosteum in the deep plane. And number two, you get the most bang for your buck with a superficial filler versus a deep filler. Um, and so uh, I like to go basically along the border of the mandible or maybe a millimeter or two up, go to the gonial angle and do retrograde threads. And then um, some. sometimes I go a little bit higher up and enhance that uh, gonial angle as well. If they need enhancement along the ascending ramus, I'll do a second port at the gonial angle and head in that subcutaneous plane as well. Um, if they need the pre-jowl and chin, which they usually do, I'll use the initial port and just turn it around. And that time I go deep. So then I pierce the smash. And then I'm going along the periosteum in the pre-jowl and in the chin area. So in the pre-jowl area, I'd like to be between that mandibular osteochanous ligament and the platysmal uh, mandibular ligament. There's there's a little um, uh, space in between those uh, called the deep lateral chin fat. And that's a great area to enhance. And then I enhance uh, medially. And then if need be, I can enhance uh, superficially as well in the chin and uh, uh, marionette area using that same port as well. Yep. And so... In terms of product choice, I mean, I know we've got, um, I know you're a, a Galderma trainer, but I'm assuming that you use all manner of different fillers that you have at your disposal in, in your clinic. So, you know, things like Volux, you know, seems to be making a great impact um, for practitioners being able to treat that area. It gives you, you know, more definition. It's, it's harder. It's high, higher G prime. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. they don't have in the States yet, I don't think. Right. But yeah. Okay. It's coming. It's we coming. don't have it yet. Yeah. So, so, what, so what, uh, what are your sort of weapons of choice in terms of, you know, sort of approaching this area and and sort of why? Um, so the, um, I usually use an HA. Yep. Uh, I usually use uh, the Lift product. If the skin has some loss of integrity, and I'm afraid that the filler, because it's so superficial, is going to be seen through the skin, I will change it to either a contour or define or maybe an RHA4 or something. Mm-hmm. Um and I will, I will sometimes use calcium hydroxyapatite as well. Yeah. So, um, what, what patients are you choosing the the Redis or, or or other calcium products? Why why do you go from one to the other? I think that you um, Redis is obviously you get a one and a half cc syringe. Mm-hmm. Um, so for patients that need a little more volume, I use that because it's similarly priced. Um, if they have thick skin, I can use the radius as well. Um, I don't 
like to bolest with radius because I do think it aggregates. So if I'm doing the one other thing that I do sometimes is I inject down onto the perios, um, down uh, with a needle. Uh, that will be the only time I do that in the in the gonial angle area. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd rather not do that with with radius uh, as much as an HA. Uh, I just I'm just concerned because I've seen blobs of calcium hydroxyapatite, that, and they're very difficult to treat. Um, yeah. They 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 aggregate. So, um, I I used to do a lot more of calcium hydroxyapatite. I haven't had problems with it, but I do like the fact that uh, HA is dissolvable. That, well, that that's really the huge benefit. Well, that, that I, was, yeah. Well, that was going to be my question. You know, you, you're sort of injecting in that sort of that danger zone in that sort of mid face when you're doing the chin and, you know, in terms of occlusion. So, you know, how do you sort of approach that in terms of trying to circumvent that? Because it's, uh, it's a one way street, unfortunately, if you, if you get an occlusion in that area with, with that product, is that a consideration? Uh, yes. Um, I have been referred, um, two or three cases in the last six months of radius occluding, uh, this area. And also including the lingual on the on the same side, mm. so they had hemi tongue wow. occlusion as well. And unfortunately, there's not a lot to do other than um, you, you do flush it with hyaluronidase. It does help a little bit. It helps dispersion, and then you do hyperbaric oxygen, and right. um, you you pray. So. Uh, so I was going to say, do you think with those cases, that was more the submental artery that was affected? It, it probably yes. wasn't the mental artery, just because of if it's in the mouth, it, it's more likely that submental effect. Exactly. It's a submental that communicates with the lingual. Yep. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, that's a bit of a um, disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. They. They. The outcomes weren't perfect, but they weren't terrible. They didn't lose half their tongue, but they lost some of the floor of the mouth. Um, and needed surgery to correct that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Jeez. So, so in general, if, if I'm not doing something like on label that I, that I do for Galderma, I try to use cannulas in the chin area too. Yeah. Cause I, I think that there's several vessels there. There's the mental, the ascending some mental, the inferior labial, and sometimes the labial mental, they all communicate. It's, it, it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, my approach is very similar. Um, you know, people who know how I inject, I use the sort of the MD codes and getting away from the actual term MD codes. It's just a, a way of breaking up the face into different subunits. So, you know, when a patient's sitting there, well, what subunit is the problem? Is it lack of chin definition, projection, so on, so on. So, you know, I, I do like to use cannula in a lot of the areas, but like you said, if you're on bone and they need you know, bony structure, then I think the best way of doing it, maybe not the safest, but the best aesthetic way of doing it is, is a bolus where you're, you know, in, when you're hollow or if you want to get projection on the gonio angle, like you said, I think that's, I hate the word safe, but it's a safer area sort of on yeah. the back of the, the mandible almost. You're very unlikely to encounter a named vessel there. 
Um, but for chin projection, I, I do think that a bolus on the Pagonian is probably the, again, not maybe not the safest, but the best way of getting that projection. Um, but, you know, to be in a safer plane, there's a lot of cannula work. And, you know, like you said, that can be along the ramus, it can be in the pregial solstice, um, you know, the, the menton, the lower part of the chin, um, or even the, the mental crease is another area that I treat quite a lot. Um, not just because there's a line there, but it can affect how the lip averts and so on. So, yeah. And, and where do you sit on the, on the concept of myomodulation, Steve? I know it's <clears> a, <throat> a very controversial, hotly debated yeah. topic. Do you think that you can affect any of these lower facial muscles, particularly the mentalis by using filler, above them or indeed below them to augment them if you ever wanted to do that? I don't know if I, there's a couple different um, sort of definitions. I'll just, so I'll just tell you, yes, when I see a chin that has a lot of tension in it, when I inject filler below it, it, it relieves that tension. That muscle is in tension because it's lost support. Okay. So, so I, I don't think that the, um, the instinct to inject a muscle under tension in the chin is the right idea to do with toxin. I think you, it first must be volumized to its appropriate um, projection, and then you can decide whether you need to have toxin or not. So, yes, I do believe that filler does improve the tension in the muscle, but, but how does it do it? I mean... There's some theories about this reflex and all that. I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's in spasm a little bit because it's lost its, its projection. That's yeah, it's interesting because I mean the classical definition of myomodulation. What you're saying, and, and you're right, I see it as well. If you inject on the chin bone and the mentalis is sort of covering it, it will look less tight because you've sort of stretched out that muscle and it and it doesn't have the ability to contract as much, and yet. You know, people who describe myomodulation will say that if you inject below a muscle, you augment that muscle's ability and you sort of give it a fulcrum effect and, and technically it should get tighter. So this is where it gets a bit confusing. Whereas in my practice, when I want to control a mentalis, you're right, I might do something structurally below. But also if you inject above the muscle... I don't know how it works, if it's just a, a camouflaging effect, but you see that dimpling of the mentalis less because they've got filler above it. It's just logical to me. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think the jury's I out. Do, I do believe that there's a relationship. I, I'm not, I'm not discounting that. What I'm discounting is the explanation for it. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, the net effect is the same. You can do something with a muscle with filler. Just don't know how, don't know how it actually works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll agree on that. Fair enough. And actually, can we just touch on toxins for the for yeah. the chin? Because it's something I love to do. Um, patients love it, even though you know I might notice they've got quite a, a strong mentalis and they've never thought about their chin muscle their whole life. And you do it, and they come back and they really like the look because it it can actually give a bit of shape to quite a flat non-defined chin if their mentalis is quite tight but how, how do you do it and and what doses you're using and what depth and so on i i probably do something different than most people um i'm concerned about that dli yeah being affected yeah. by the, so i see people freely injecting that mentalis uh paramedially mm. I, I i don't do that i do one injection right in the middle um uh deeply 
Yes. And um, I use 10 units of Dysport or five units of Botox. Okay. And I make it really easy because I have affected the DLI trying to get a little fancy with it. Yeah. And so then what do you do with those people where the middle kind of looks smooth, but then they're still crumpling on the side? Right. Right. Kind of don't worry about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, my, my my technique is very similar. I just do two ever so slightly off the midline. But you're right. You, you don't want to be going too wide, or you affect the smile. Yeah, you and look, look like you've had a, a stroke. Odd. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's not even a stroke. It, it one side actually raises. Oh, like a Bell's palsy. Kind and of and thing, so yeah. I guess the the non affected side looks like the the sort of the strokey side because that's the lower side yeah, right. so it's anyway yeah, it gets complicated yeah so what's your technique jack how do you approach the uh, jaw in general i mean you know we talk about the chin your technique but in terms of well i, I sort of touched on it so i'm sort of looking at where the the main deficiencies are and and really aesthetics whether it's mid face yeah. or, or chin or or jaw it's just the light shadow reflex where where is it deficient where where can it be improved to to maximize the the light yeah. shadow reflex so yeah so um you know, if you break up your patients into younger, they're tending to want beautification and yeah. augmentation. So it's often lateral jawline and, you know, getting that mid face to lower face ratio better. Whereas in our, you know, more mature patients or sort of, you know, post 40, when jowling starts to be a problem, then I'm really working a lot on the chin and the pre-jowl solstice to just hide that hollow. Exactly. I don't believe that we can lift faces per se with filler. There might be a slight sort of volumizing lifting effect, but not like a face indirect. Lift. Yeah. And, you know, injectors get really heated on, on Instagram about oh, it can't lift and it, it can lift. And so I don't really care. The net effect is it looks better. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and, and then a lot of cannula work just to try and be safer. But I agree, products like Volux um, have changed my practice. Um, before I was using Voluma, which I got good results. It's softer though, isn't but it? But it's yeah. softer. It, it, it's it's not as yeah. high G prime as, as Volux. Um, so it can look good for a few weeks or, or months, but it, you get a slight spreading of the filler because it's not as cohesive. And if you're not careful, it can, it can widen a female chin and look a bit puffy. It just yeah. doesn't look yeah. right, um, even though it looks... You know, it looks less jowly, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, and you certainly don't get that cl as clean a definition of of a softer product versus Volux. So yeah. Volux for me has been a real game changer. I love it. It lasts. Um, you know, you just get that clean, crisp um, look, but also a lot of projection if, if yeah. that's what they need as well. Yeah. And what sort of volumes are you, are, you, are you guys injecting with? I mean, what's it look like for a patient in terms of how many syringes and is it sort of a, a one one treatment or is it done over multiple sessions and you're sort of doing it in stages? Um, I think for, again, is it anterior jaw? Is it chin? Is it yeah. both? But if, if I'm sort of working on front of chin and front of jaw up into the jowl, depending on what I'm doing and, and how much they need, I can use up to four mils because, you know, you might work on the labiamental crease, the pagonian, um, the sort of the anterior jawline, sort of the underside of the jawline, plus a little bit in the pre-jail solstice. So you sort of add those areas together, sort of little half mils or mm -hmm. 0.3 here, 0.4 there, then suddenly you've used four mils. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've obviously got to quote and, and, and assess each patient, but you can dump a reasonable amount just here, but the impact is so much better because their profile's better, front view's better, jowl is softened, cervical mental angle's better, um, so it's a lot of bang for your buck, even though it's, you know, three or four yeah. mils. What about you, Steve? What's your, what's your sort of, uh, you know, volumes and yeah. Um, 
in the younger patient, um, again, female, I, you got to be careful. Uh, so I'm, I'm one or two syringes, uh, total yeah. one or two, uh, in, in the posterior aspect of the jaw. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, they'll live with it. And if it's not too much for them, come on back in three or four weeks. I, it's never, it's never a problem for me to re-inject patients, but if they're too big, they, they, they don't like it. In the older patient, they can go up to four or five syringes per side in a posterior aspect. Yeah. And I agree with Jake. In the anterior aspect, it could be two, three, or four syringes too. So you, you got to kind of uh, watch the pocketbook. You got to, um, if you inject too much, I believe, in particularly the posterior jaw, the filler does what it wants to do, not necessarily what you want it to do. So so I like to do it in stages so that I can have the filler settle out and not aggregate and then do it again at a later date. It does last quite a long, long time once you get it to correction. The one thing I wanted to uh, reemphasize is the, um, the older patient, again, I'm injecting, I start at the lowest part of the jowl, and then I try to bring the jawline down to the lowest part of the jaw. So I'm injecting below the jawline and not necessarily uh, along the jawline. Yeah. And I do something that's called um, a tadpole injection. And what I mean by that is I'm injecting the tadpole's head is big and its tail is small. So I'm injecting more posteriorly and less as I come anteriorly. Yeah. So it's going to be a tadpole. So I'm not injecting the same amount as I'm injecting. Um, so that, those are the two things that I wanted to talk to. Are you, are you yeah. doing that with a cannula or a needle? Yes, with a cannula. Yeah. yeah I, one thing that I, I like to do, again, I know it's not as safe, but it, but the aesthetic is better. And, and I believe in aspiration, so I aspirate, is I'll, I'll go down onto the needle into the pre-jowl solstice and I'll do two or three little boluses. And then I use my two fingers. Sorry if you, if you can't see this, but this will be in YouTube eventually. I'll, I'll sort of mold the, those three or four boluses all together into a strut. So similar to what you're saying, I'm sort of trying to make that lower part of the pre-jowl solstice taller almost. Yeah. Um, well, you're probably injecting between those two ligaments Yeah. Um, into the deep lateral chin fat. And that, that's, that's actually a natural, just like the prezygomatic space, there's a prezygomatic space in, in the jawline mm. where you're bounded superficially by the SMAS superiorly by the mandibular osteocutaneous ligament, inferiorly by the platysmal mandibular ligament, and deep by the bone. Yeah. So when you when you fill that space up, it really does work. It, the filler doesn't spread because basically you're inflating a contained yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe let's touch on, on complications a little bit um, because it's something that we should all be aware of that, you know, these procedures do carry risks. And, you know, we sort of alluded to that the vascular occlusion uh, phenomenon, which um, most injectors who've injected enough have experienced at some point during their career. I mean, generally speaking, you know, the chin um, is considered a, you know, a safer zone. Um, how do you sort of deal with complications 
in this area? What, you know, what's your sort of uh, dissolving protocol, your highlights protocol? And then I guess from a business perspective as well, you know, um, these sorts of things can, can impact you, can impact your staff, patients and so on. So do you want to just maybe just walk us through, you know, all the stuff that can go wrong and, <laughs> and how you sort of deal with it from, from a medical and patient care perspective, but also from, from a business perspective as well? Yeah. And, and maybe you could touch on your findings anecdotally with ultrasound, Steve, yes. because, you know, again, I hate the word safe that's that's thrown around in, in, in the injectable arena. And it's often said, oh, the chin's safe, particularly down on the midline. And I don't agree with that. But yeah, what, what have you actually seen with your probe? Well, um, the ascending submental artery is is the main artery of concern in the chin. And it generally is paramedian. There's, there's one on either side of the midline, about six millimeters off of the midline. And there's a superficial and a deep branch. The deep branch isn't along the periosteum usually. It's usually a millimeter or two off. Mm. Um, Again, I, I I like to be as safe as possible, and I use a, a moving cannula generally in the chin. If I'm actually using a needle, which I sometimes do for Galderma, I'm moving the needle as I'm injecting. I know people like to stay there and bolus. I think if you're moving, you're going to be a little safer than bolusing. Um, I do think that the remainder of the, the jawline is a pretty safe area, as you said, there's really not much name structures in the gonial angle area along the periosteum. The antigonial notch is the main area of the facial artery. You definitely do not want to inject deeply in that area because that, that could really screw your day up. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I encounter a complication, the complications can be nodularity, poor cosmetic result, uh, vascular occlusion, is only one of the many, in fact, the rarest complication that I see. Um, so um, if there is a vascular occlusion, I think the gold standard now is to uh, use a ultrasound to visualize where the filler is, where the flow is not flowing, and under direct visualization, inject with hyaluronidase. Now, the, gold, the um, DiLorenzo says to inject 450 units of hyaluronidase per half lip area. So, um, but would you end up using a lot of hyaluronidase, a lot of pokes? I think that using a needle is better than a cannula because you might get into the artery. I think that your vascular occlusions are almost always, except in the nasal tip, caused by intravascular injection, not by external compression. Um, so, uh, that's why the ultrasound is so useful because it can help you guide you inside the vessel. Um, I use full strength uh, hyaluronidase, and um, you can see return of flow pretty quickly when you you know get the bullseye using the ultrasound. Um, not not everyone has ultrasound at their disposal. If if you're using um, sort of the random technique of injecting where you think it is, well, it's 450 units. And then you repeat it every hour until you get an improvement in the um, capillary refill. Yeah. Um, capillary yeah. refill, you need to hold down for 10 seconds. And if it's slower than three seconds, um, it's not good. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, to share my first complication was 
I believe the submental artery. And actually, I'd been doing exactly what we just said, a bit of work all around the, the chin and the, the front of the jawline and all with cannula. I didn't use a needle at all. And as soon as I did my fourth meal, I put my cannula down, turned away from the patient and turned back. And I just saw that really early sort of mottling, which, you know, wow. some people call the classic stocking, uh, fishnet stocking sort of look where it's not a bruise. Yeah, reticulation, exactly. So I was like, wow, okay, that that, that is an occlusion. I've not That's had not one good. before. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I was very honest with the patient. I said, look, we've discussed this thing in your consent. Um, I believe I'm seeing an early one. We're going to, you know, get some dissolver out. And like you said, because I'm doing it under sort of blind visualization, I didn't have ultrasound and I'm, I'm not trained in ultrasound, it becomes a real ordeal. For, for a number of reasons. One, do you have enough highlays on board? Because most people don't have more than two or three vials. Two, what, how are you going to manage that patient if you don't deal with it within, you know, half an hour, an hour? Because they've got a life to get on with and, you know, kids to pick up from school and all the rest of it. Three, cost. It's going to cost you as the inject a lot of money, either through highlays or, you know, other any other remedies yeah. that you're going to throw into that patient to get them better. And four, and then this is the main one that is the problem with occlusions, is the anxiety of the patient. Well, yeah, I was going to they're, ask that. They're how going you manage crazy, them. they're angry, they're pain? upset, they're in pain. You've bruised the hell out of them through multiple vials of highlays. Um, of course, they don't have the aesthetic result that they came in for. So they've got a hemi improved chin on the, on the non-affected side and yeah. the other side looks like a, you know, yeah. suboptimal. And it becomes a real drama, not because of, you know, I don't know how to manage occlusion, but everything around it. Yeah. So I, I think this is where ultrasound is really going to nip things in the bud potentially because you just visualize this thing, you know, inject maybe 30, 50, 100 units of highlays. It's dealt with. You don't have to dissolve the rest of the filler and your patient's safe and they go home, potentially. That, that, that would be the gold standard. Do you think that that's achievable, Steve? Yeah, I do. Um, not, not, in the, um, not in everyone's hand with the ultrasound. It's going to take uh, time to learn. It's, it's actually hard to coordinate a little bit, mm. seeing the needle, holding the ultrasound, looking at the screen. So it's best actually to have an assistant hold the ultrasound while you use the needle and uh, look at the screen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that uh, there, there's a lot of hand holding. Um, you, you've basically wrecked your schedule for yeah. the next uh, three or four days, not just day, the day. <laughs> because yeah. you might actually even send them to hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah. Which, which takes two, three hours out of the day. Um, there are, um, I, I have to do a plug, not, not that I have any financial interest, but I started this as an experiment, and it actually is working. There's these um, this oxygen um, unit. It's uh, it's about this, this size, a little bit bigger than EO two concepts. Is that what you're talking about? We I came just, across yeah. this. Yeah, yeah I had it up on my screen. I was going to ask you about it. The like basically, it's a patch that oxygenates the skin, right? Right. So it changes atmospheric uh, oxygen to a hundred percent. And then it pumps it through a, a little dressing through the skin. And it can go two millimeters. And the way it is in the United States is you have to rent it. You can't buy it. Right. Um, they, they might change their, their business model. And we've seen rapid improvement, not, not on patients who are still occluded. But after you get rid of the occlusion, there's still some damaged tissue there. And maybe some 
you know, loss of skin. And this heals it in within a week in some people within three or four days. So my question with that is, aren't you sort of masking the problem that is still the occlusion? And, and as soon as you remove your patch and you leave the occlusion, it's not going to get better. Well, I'm not pretending to use it without treating the occlusion. Right. Okay. I, I'm, I'm treating the, um, the skin that's macerated, injured, that has had uh, poor blood flow for a day or two or three. Like the pustules and, and those early signs. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's an adjunct, yes. an adjunct to dissolving. Well, it's an adjunct to healing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that's interesting. We should get them on and yeah. try and get, have a chat about that. Absolutely. Um, just from a, a business patient perspective, um, how do you manage these patients from well, I guess the first thing they're going to be thinking is, can I trust this practitioner again to treat my face? Um, how am I going to explain this to my friends and my family? So how do you sort of, because you sort of alluded to it, Jake, you know, these patients are, they're stressed, they're in pain, they're, they're scared, um, they're irritated. How do you just from a, from a, from a human perspective, um, keep them calm, um, m- help them to maintain their, their trust in your ability to, to look after them? I mean, if I could just end my story, because I guess it's relevant. So that patient, you know, (laughs) was the classic, oh my God, what am I going to tell my husband? (laughs) I've got a dinner party and, you know, all the rest of it. And so I think in retrospect, this is a few years ago now, in retrospect, it made me not just consent people properly from a, you know, a, a medical perspective, but be more holistic than that. So worst case scenario, if I do that occlusion thing that we discussed today, how's that going to impact you this week? So, you know, what are you doing for work? What have you got on your social diary? And what are you going to tell your family if you've got this big thing on your face that looks like a terrible bruise? You know, you have to talk about that explicitly. And if your patient bails out and says, no way, there's just no way I can handle that stress, then I think that patient you shouldn't do filler on because it's, it, it, it's a risk, right? Yeah. Even though it's a small risk. Whereas if they go, well, yeah, fair enough. You've been totally upfront with me and I can handle that and let's go. Then yeah. that's a, that's true consent, informed consent, I think. Mm. But how do you manage, how do you manage them once the shit does hit the fan and, and they well, are stressed? Yeah. In my perspective, I actually got um, a few injectors involved quickly, like, you know, my network. And I was just lucky that I could call on a few people, including Stephen Liu, Greg Goodman and uh, Mike Clegg. I don't know if you know Mike Clegg, um, yeah. Steve. So, you know, from that perspective, one, it helped me because I knew that I was doing the right things and, and they agreed with me. But also from the patient's perspective, they know that I'm not bullshitting them. Yeah. They know that I've got a consensus group who are experienced in what I'm doing and they agree that all the right things are being done. And as it so turned out, that patient did actually lose faith in my work. I just got the impression that she wasn't happy for whatever reason with, you know, the plan, even though that everyone agreed. Mm. And so I did actually cross refer, um, the patient to someone else to sort of take over her care. And, you know, that was her choice. And, and I'm happy to admit that, you know, sometimes you lose these patients and it's not your fault. You just, you just can't restore yeah. that, that yeah. faith. And in, in, they associate you with the negative, with exactly. the negative experience. Exactly. And I do yeah. understand that, but, um, yeah, I think involving colleagues is, is, a, is a good thing for both the patient and the injector. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Totally what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. Sometimes these people come in and usually the mother of the bride and she wants to look good for <laughs> a wedding. Yeah. And she wants to do it a week or a, <laughs> yes. a few days before. <laughs> and I go, look at, yeah, everything goes great. Great. But, but we can't count on that. So you, you have to uh, cancel 
patients that you, you need you need to come in here three four weeks before these major events mm. because you could bruise you could swell we might need to do a touch-up whatever yeah um i think that um you got to be responsive i've seen cases where uh they search me out on instagram because uh it's either the weekend or whatever you know they're just not getting responses from their injector and you have to bend over backwards to help to treat these patients. Yeah. No, no matter, no matter if you like them or not, but you cause something, you have to fix it. Yeah. But communication is key. I, and, um, you know, the whole office staff has to, um, you know, embrace them and, and try to help them through this process. Call them after hours, get pictures. Don't, don't uh, that's the other thing. So your office gets a call. Um, I had filler yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm all bruised up. And your office staff has to know that a bruise is an occlusion until you actually see it. Yeah. So photographs. And if there's any question about the photograph, come on in. Yeah. Because, because the patients don't know what an occlusion looks like. Yeah. And, and that's maybe in the consent process. You show them a couple of photos of various stages of an early occlusion. So they have some idea of what they're looking for. Yeah. Because otherwise, like you said, they blame a bruise and four days later, they've got a yeah. an established necrosis. Yeah. I think, I think an important point to sort of highlight and emphasize is as an injector, yourself being able to identify what an occlusion is, because I've come across injectors in the past who weren't too sure what they were looking at. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, in everyone's, you know, quest to become successful and be good at what they do and, and develop a profile, I think a lot of the time this sort of stuff's sort of glossed over. It's not really looked at in detail and people aren't really aware of what these things actually look like, particularly in the early stages. Like, you know, you looked at a patient a few seconds later, you could automatically see that that yeah. change in the skin, the blanching, you know, the, the sort of spider webby kind of look that you get over the skin. So recognizing and spending time educating yourself on what these complications look like so you can hit them early. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, unless you explicitly look for something, like you said, you can gloss over yeah. it and miss it. And it's not just the area that you treated, you know, it, it's it's following the path of the artery. So, yeah. you know, the classic one is, you know, nasolabial line or whatever, you know, look at the nose and in between the eyebrows, because that's where, the, that's the distal path of the, the yeah. artery. So and, unless you look for it, is, you can miss it. And, yeah. Yeah. If there is... Um, quote, a bruise in an area that you didn't inject, that's an occlusion. Yeah, so, so making sure you remove it, makeup before you treat, I guess another important point oh, as well, God. which I've seen some injectors not do because patients don't want to ruin their makeup. It's like, if you've got stuff covering the skin, how are you going to identify an occlusion? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I had a patient, you know, she, she sent me a picture and she just removed the makeup here and there was a bruise there. I said, I want to see your whole face. Yeah. <laughs> so take another picture. And she didn't want to do that, but you're absolutely right. It's a makeup. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's sort of just, you know, what we've done in our, in our, in our quest to sort of make patients feel comfortable. These are procedures you can get in your lunch break. It's, you know, it's, there's no downtime. I think that sometimes the seriousness of this is still a medical procedure. Things can still go wrong. Yeah. Um, we probably need as, as, as an industry and a community to, to sort of, put an emphasis on that and sort of whilst these are really easy, convenient procedures to do that does carry an element of risk and Definitely. you need to be aware. Yeah. Do you agree, Steve, that, you know, as a trainer, you know, again, we teach people some basic anatomy, you know, where the foramen are and classic arteries and stuff. But do you think that dumbs down 
how variable and and how different each face is. And you know, you've again, you've got the ultrasound probe. You've you've looked. Um, one of the questions that our listeners submitted was, "Have you yeah. seen much variation in you know the, the arteries?" So presumably yeah. the answer is yes. And so yeah. I guess when you when you hear injectors say, "Oh, I know my anatomy," well, it's kind of a bit of a joke. Um, so give give us your sort of insight into that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you um, a couple scenarios. Um, I'm I'm doing this. Um, video production about injecting um, into the deep piriform. And my wife is my patient. And I actually didn't uh, ultrasound her beforehand, but I ultrasound her and her, she's one of the one or 2% where the artery is running along the periosteum. Right. Okay. Right. So there you go. Yesterday, it was late last week. I'm in doing another video for injecting the temples. I'm looking for the, um, anterior branch of the superficial temporal artery. And this patient didn't have one. Okay. So, uh, and then, you know, the inferior and superior labial arteries, they could be below the muscle in the muscle or superficial. Uh, so there's one or 2% that are superficial to the muscle. So it's, it's, it's interesting where I find that it's superficial to the muscle. I, and the patient has had injections before I said, do you bruise right here? When you get liver injections, they always say, yeah, so that's because the vessel is superficial there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, one thing that I wanted to bring out that uh, happened to me um, yesterday. Uh, so a patient, I was injecting lips, but she had that tattooing or blushing oh, gosh, yeah. on the lip. Mm -hmm. So basically, I couldn't assess the, the vascularity of the lip when injecting. So it's someone that I... You know, do you, have you run into that? And I kind of felt a little uneasy injecting that patient. It's more common. It used to be the older patients, and and to be fair, it didn't look great because it sort of looked like orange <laughs> staining. It sort of lost its color over sort of fifteen twenty years. But now the younger patients are doing it more, and I don't know what to say. I I, I don't know mm. if there are any issues. Does it mask it? Does it not? Is it going to cause a sterility issue? I don't know. Yeah, I think these are all sort of unknowns at the moment. Mm. We've got a um. A ton of questions here, Steve, from from our, our listeners that I'm uh, very excited that you're coming on and, and here to talk to us today about this topic. So do you mind if I just run them through with you? And uh, we'll try yeah. and get through them quick because I know you've got things to do, but we'll, we'll maybe just hit them hit them one by one. So this is from uh, Dr. Zainab Aesthetics. And she's asked, and I know the answer to this is yes, but you know, do you use ultrasound for vascular mapping in the jawline? Have you ever seen any variations in the facial artery? So um, no, the facial artery is consistently in that antagonial notch. Um, and, um, there could be variations in, uh, size, but, uh, it's consistently there and the level is deep. I will say one thing just to add to that. It's not the facial artery, but the, the mental foramen. So again, you know, we're taught it's in the, you know, the limbic line and everyone sort of draws a sort of a fake little foramen and stays away from it, but that can be variable and you can have accessory foramen. And of course, it's not just the hole that you need to be worried about, but it's the branches out of the hole. So again, right. when we think of this sort of silly 2D anatomy that injectors learn from a book, that's not really real life. So I think you just injectors need to be cautious of, you know, mm. that both the variability, but also thinking about things in a three or even a 4D way where expression again, changes things yeah. as well. Yeah. 
Um, we've got a question from our friend Jacinta King, um, who's president of the uh, CNA, the Cosmetic Nurses Association here in Australia, and she's been on our podcast before. Um, she's asking a question, and Jake and I were just talking about this the other day, actually, around um, any evidence for bone reabsorption um, from filler place in a certain region. And she says she's got some palpable deficits on her mandible. Do you think this is real or is this just, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> not real? <laughs> um, well, there is that one paper, I think it was out of Korea yeah. about a year or two ago that 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 showed it on CAT scans. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't use that technique, though. Um, I, I suppose that you could cause um, uh, devascularization if you um, mm. actually inject into the jaw uh, bone. Uh, can you get pressure necrosis? Maybe. Uh, I To me, it's controversial. I don't think it's black and white. Um, I haven't seen it. No, uh, I haven't seen it. Well, and, you know, the amount of people who have their chins and jaws done you'd assume that over time we would start seeing scalloping of the jawline if that was a real problem, but I, I've personally never seen it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, skin by Nilly, safest technique and which products are the best for those areas? I think we sort of covered it a little bit, but yeah, maybe just- I mean, my, my, my number one product is Volux and a combination of needle in, you know, certain places, but mainly cannula in, yep. in a subcutaneous plane. I, I have seen some people who are using a cannula on the bone and I, I don't like that, especially for the submental area. I just think it's too risky and, you know, you could potentially cannulate the artery. Yeah. So stay away from the artery and use the right tool. What about you, Steve? I would say the majority of what I'm injecting is uh, HA and yep. it would be lift. Um and then I also use Radius. Yep. Okay. Um, Agnes Cosmetic RN. She's asked a few questions. I'll see if I can roll them all into one. So she <laughs> wants to know what products do you like for a crisp jaw and what techniques do you use? I think we've covered that. Um, with the bum chin, how do you go around it if they love it? So how do you sort of avoid treating that area if they want to keep their little cleft clef chin? I mean... And then also, would you treat bum chin in, to achieve a heart shape in women? Yeah. I mean... Basically, in a men, stay off the midline. <laughs> and for yeah. a woman, stay in the midline. If they've got a cleft in a woman and they want to keep it, that's where you have to have that discussion. Okay. That's probably right. the only sort of, uh, you know, if you don't ask a patient if they do or don't like a cleft and you do the opposite, they'll hate you. Yeah. So just confirm it before you inject them. Yeah, I agree with that. There was one, one point I, I'm thinking of that in the older females – you know, they tend to widen out. Mm. And sometimes, even if it doesn't match up with your rickety plane, I sometimes will enhance the chin to give the illusion. Again, it's the illusion that it's more V-shaped because the chin is more pointy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, agreed. Um, Flow Medical Aesthetics asked about cannula or needle. You've answered that. You're a cannula man, so we don't need to. What, what, what cannulas do you uh, like, just out of interest? I use the soft fill. And I, yeah. I use the um, 25... Um, 40 or 50 millimeter. Okay. Yeah. Soft is a different brand. Oh, I, is it? I, I'm more of a TSK ah, right. kind of guy, but yeah, soft another brand. Um, JM Crone MD. He's the person that won our Julie Horn competition, yes, I think. Maurizio. Hello. Hello. Um, what's nicer in the long term? HA or calcium hydroxyapatate and are bolus injections in the chin really so safe as many say? Well, I think we've sort we of it covered it. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think the chin and, Injection is um, 
you know, bolus injection is as safe as people say. I, I've seen a lot of uh, complications from that. Not not from me, but referred to me for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, I think that both products work well. Probably the calcium hydroxyapatite lasts a little longer. Yeah. One thing with the calcium uh, fillers, I don't really use them at all, to be honest. But my understanding is, you know, you said it's a one point five mil syringe. Yet a lot of that is just a carrier molecule. It's not. It's not product. So a lot of that dissipates. So what are you actually seeing? Are you using it for shaping or volumizing? Like, what are you doing with it? So it really does give a very distinct um, enhancement. Um, So if I'm really wanting a sharp enhancement, particularly in, let's say, our younger males, that's a really good one for that. Mm -hmm. And for the really um, jowling males um that's a good one for that as well no do do i get 1.5 ultimately probably not yeah um it's 70 percent carrier 30 percent calcium hydroxyapatite so mm-hmm. um so um with with obviously ha it's about one to one so um you know uh it's the the one thing that they say with calcitoxyapatite is it lasts uh, anywhere from 12 to 18 months, but you can look at it with ultrasound and you can see it for years later, just like you can see HA for years later too. Yeah. yeah. There's a new product that um, it's a new filler that I think Allegan have actually purchased called Harmonica. Yeah. It's an Israeli made filler that they've acquired. And that's interesting. It's a mix of HA and calcium, but yeah. it's a true mix. There's no carrier molecule. It is what it is. So it'd be yeah. interesting once we eventually get that in, mm-hmm. in Australia one day to sort of see, you know, how that differs to just a pure HA. Yeah. Um, the yeah. truth will come out soon. 16 is her handle. She says, I'm 40 years old. Uh, she's a female. How do I stop my jawline receding help? I look weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's natural facial aging, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'll let uh, Steve answer that. But I, multimodality, I that, right? Um, you know, staying out of sun, sunscreen, yeah. um, Retin-A, great skincare. Yeah. It's probably the cheapest uh, way to improve your looks. Um, get on Retin-A or Retinol and use it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, sun destroys your collagen, and it's the number one aging um, factor. Yep. Um, and then do tune-ups with uh, filler, with lasers with chemical peels and so forth it, it's it's a marathon it's not a sprint you know and and not one one treatment is going to get you all the way home yeah. it's going to be a and actually one thing that's difficult to bring up with patients is what is your bmi because if it's you know high, high then it's a little bit unrealistic to think that you can achieve shape and form yeah. with that heaviness and it's a difficult conversation to have but I, th- I think it's relevant when we're talking about jawlines and supplemental yeah. fullness. Have you heard of um, vitamin K2 as being a supplement that you can take to a, a, like sort of counteract bone reabsorption? No, I haven't. Yeah, okay. I know, uh, vitamin D, obviously. Yeah. Well, I've heard that, you know, these, um, I don't know, I'm obviously not a doctor. So this is not advice. Anyone listen to this, do your own research. That's my disclaimer. But I have, <laughs> I have read anecdotal evidence around um, artificial sort of vitamin D um, supplementation can cause the calcium to be leached out of the bone 
Um, and this vitamin K2 potentially is a way to, to counteract that. So that's just what I've sort of read anecdotally and my partner's right into that. So she's always researching this stuff. Ooh. She's a nurse. Um, so interesting. I've, I've taken vitamin K2. Um, apparently it helps. Yeah, I think uh, the the sort of anti-aging side of things rather than aesthetic yeah. side of things is really going to probably overtake, but certainly augment what yeah. we do. You know, yeah. if, if you can yeah. make better bone. And, and, and NAD is, uh, yeah. is something that's coming on too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, Melalu 2, best treatment for a double chin. Liposuction? I think we've sort of <laughs> yeah. covered that. Yeah, it depends on the size of it, the laterality, your BMI, and the, and then what is the bony platform around it. What do you think, Steve? Yep. Anything, anything different to, to offer there? Or? Um, well, the gold standard would be liposuction yep. or surgery, um, but uh, short of that, uh, RF microneedling, deoxycholic acid. Um, okay, fair enough. Now, just final kind of point, I guess. Where do you, do you think there's any future treatments that are going to improve what we do as injectors or aesthetic doctors? For example. I did read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, that there may be fillers, you know, down the line, five or even 10 years, that can actually stimulate bone. And I don't just mean sort of an indirect effect, but an actual effect on the bone. So that's one potential. Um, but also fillers that help tighten or drape the skin better, the envelope better. Do, do, do you think these are just sort of theoretical or, or do you have any inside knowledge that, you know, these may be coming? No, I don't. I don't have knowledge about that. I, I have knowledge about um, a filler specifically for jawlines, potentially. Mm, um, right. Okay. Um, Can you expand on that? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> um, he'd tell us, but he'd have to kill us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But um, there, the one thing that I'm actually kind of excited about is called microcorine. Have you heard about that? No. Nope. Tell us more. Okay. Well, this is this is the future, the future. So you've heard of uh, basically punch biopsies. Oh, actually, I think sorry, I think Davin Lim is doing this for jowls already. But please carry yes. on. Yes. So he's using one one and a half millimeter punch biopsies. Yes. Uh, and taking out small fractional portions of the skin, and it actually heals uh, without incident, without scarring, and so forth. So there's machines. There's two machines. So trellis is one, and there's maybe another. And it's almost, and and they did it down here at first because if there were any untowards effects, you couldn't see it very well. Yeah, and it's almost like a a sewing machine, and it goes boom 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 boom, and it's taking out these micro cores, and so you're basically taking out something similar to what a facelift would take out, but in fractional pieces, and so. You'll be able to do it in the jowl and potentially take out a little bit of the fat associated with that, some mental area as well. So, and and so acne scarring as well. So I think it's it's going to be a big deal. You have right. to obviously use tumescent anesthesia, and uh, we're at the and and Davin is doing it, but he he's not using the machine. He's using basically a manual a handheld punch device. Box, yeah. How how, how yeah. would that differ from say using a fractionated erbium? Where you're sort of getting a similar type of because like you're taking of, out much more tissue. Ah, okay, it's so like it's a, just a scale. It's, it's like just a, a longer column, right? And, and, it, and it's right. and it's um, full thickness. Oh wow! Okay, interesting. Full, full thickness. In fact, Davin even says he takes out a little bit of the fat in in the jowling area. Oh, um, interesting. So, so I I do think that uh, 
that potentially is a future. My my concern was, and and Davin doesn't because he's using larger punches than what the machines would use, is that there would be scarring or dimpling or whatever, and he's not getting that. Very yeah, exciting. We, we, I had dinner with Devin just about two weeks ago, and, and I, I pinned him down to ask him about all of this because, you know, jowls are a real problem, and, yeah. and and even with the best fillers in the world, sometimes it's just too heavy. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm interested to the, learn the technique, but again, I think that should be left to someone who has the full armamentum of lasers to resurface and deal with any scarring yes. and Pigment pigmentation mm. and so on. It shouldn't just be you know your casual injector just having a crack. <laughs> The whole punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about um actually we didn't discuss masseters. So just very, very briefly oh, yeah. for for facial slimming and contouring. What what's your technique, Steve? So um just crudely I, I uh, ask the patient to clinch and I feel the anterior border of the masseter. I usually go approximately uh 10 millimeters, maybe a little bit less from the anterior border. I go posteriorly mm-hmm. and I usually do it um, along the jawline. And, and if you draw a line from the commissure to the earlobe, you should be below that. Yeah. So you don't affect the zygomatic uh, muscle and you want to do it deeply as well. So you don't affect the rhizorius muscle because yeah. the rhizorius muscle is going to be lying on the superficial surface of the masseter. And I'll do anywhere from three to five injections um, in that little space. And, uh, I use 25 to 35 units of Dysport per side, 15 to 20 of Botox per side. Okay. And then if they still have a lot of strength in their muscle, they'll come back in two or three weeks and I'll do it again. There's papers that stay after three treatments. You do get very prolonged slimming as well as, uh, um, you know, weakness of the muscle. Um, so it, it, it does work very well. So but, I'm assuming but, you're mainly doing this in women. Yes. Right. Yes. And and where do you stand? Sorry, you're going to say a but. I'll, I'll let you finish and then I'll ask you my next but question. But you do get, there are some cases of some increased jowling. Okay. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> because what, what what are you doing with filler? You're, 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 you're widening the jaw to make it more crisp. Now you're slimming it. And so the skin has nowhere to go. So you got to be careful with that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my question was going to be, do you think that you're causing premature facial aging by effectively removing that strut from the side of the face? You're making it saggier. I, I think that, um, yeah, you, you might be. There's also, I think, reports of bony loss in the mandible because you're losing the tension on the mandible yeah. and yeah. the bone reacts to tension. And when you're yeah. so, uh, and that's actually comes back to that question about the boluses and, and bone resorption. To me, it doesn't make sense. If you create pressure on a bone, it tends to react to it and grow or, yeah. or, or not yeah. disappear. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about that paper. Yeah. Well, maybe. but it's only been one paper. You got to, you know, I haven't looked into it in detail and it might not be a very sound paper, you know, their premises might not be soundly found. Yeah. But um, I haven't created, I, I know that some people inject in, in Korea up to 100 units wow. of Botox per side. Yeah. And I'm nowhere close to that. So yeah. I, 
I think I'm okay. I, 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 yeah, I rarely do facial slimming now because of that risk of facial aging. But, you know, if they're younger and not much risk of that, at least now, I, I tend to be a bit more aggressive. I'm, I'm using around 40 units of Botox per side because wow. I want a maximum slim. I don't want to sort of mess around and yeah. do top-ups and stuff. And they're there to be visibly slimmer. Whereas, you know, if it's for something like bruxism, again, I actually want to get an effect. So I don't like doing those lower doses, but I'm happy to be challenged on that by <laughs> yeah. by whoever. And we'll, we'll ask Bob yeah, um, Karner in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've almost taken up two hours of your time, Steve. Very <laughs> generous of you. Thank you for putting up with all of our, our questions. And um, it's been very, very interesting. Very yeah, educational. Thanks really to Jake nice as well. To talk to you. Yeah. Oh, no problem. That's what yeah, I'm here come, for. Come again. We'll have you anytime. <laughs> yeah. Steve, we'd love to have you back uh, maybe in the future to talk about a- another topic like ultrasound. And we've had Mobin Master on before just to talk about, I guess, the premise of yeah. it. But it'd be nice to talk about the, the learning of it and, yeah. and the equipment and, and the learning curve and all the rest of it. So maybe we'll do a panel. Yeah, maybe we could do a panel with you and Mobin or, or, or someone else. Sure. Maybe Leonie Schenk. She's the sort of the world leader yeah. in it. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time. We'll put all of your details at the bottom of the podcast description so everyone knows how, how to get hold of you. And um, yeah, stay safe, Steve. And uh, thank you for your time again. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 